So I was thinking back recently, and I realized while counting that since we were married, my husband Chuck and I have lived in 14 different homes. We've lived in central New York and London and Fort Lauderdale and northern Virginia and now in Coral Gables. And every time we have moved, every single one of those moves, at some point while we were packing things up, my sweet husband inevitably will look at me and remind me that before he met me, he could fit everything that he owned in the back of his Jeep Wrangler. I came with stuff. When we moved back down to Florida in 2012, when the moving van came, we found out that I had 6,000 pounds of books. I'm not sure how that happened. Obviously, I recognized in that moment that I had a problem, and I have culled it a little bit since then. But still, I hate moving, because when we do, there are boxes and boxes and boxes. And if you know what it's like, if you have ever moved, you know how it goes. When the moving truck has unloaded it all and the front door has been closed and they've backed out of the driveway and you are in your new place, you are left with your life partitioned up into small portable parcels. But now you have to figure out where it all goes, what to do with it all. And if you were organized when you packed up, you probably have them nicely labeled. You'll have a box that's for the home office, the one for the work office. You'll know what boxes to take into the kitchen, to the bedroom, to the bathroom. There is usually that one last box where you dumped in everything at the end when you were really, really rushing and everything is just kind of a mishmash in there. Or you may even have a box that you've moved to several different locations, but you've never actually used anything that's inside of it. But we like our boxes. When we move, it makes it so much easier to have these nice, sealed, labeled boxes. In the same way, boxes, the metaphorical, mental, the intellectual kind, they make our lives easier, too. Because it's neater when we can separate out all the distinct pieces of our lives, the people with whom we interact, even the identities that we carry with us each day. Boss, employee, separate boxes, parent, child, work, home, church, real life, we box it, we label it. It is nice and neat. But if there is anything that this COVID-19 season has taught us about the boxes in our lives, is that they are not really quite as rigid as we thought they were. Where it may have been possible before to keep our work box separated from our home box, now those spaces for many have blended where we may have had a distinct line between school for our children and our personal space for our family, those barriers have blurred. Our box for worship, the box of this sanctuary or the chapel or the fellowship hall, worship has moved out beyond these comfortable walls, out into the rest of our world. Our boxes are crumbling. They're falling apart. And that can be deeply stressful and disconcerting. But at the exact same time, it also can be an amazing opportunity for something new, healing and beautiful to emerge. 
Our scripture for today is one that is usually pulled out in churches during stewardship campaigns. But this is a scripture that is about so much more than finances. It is about using everything that God has given us. It is about living up to our full potential as human beings. It is about the incredible freedom and joy that comes from loving God with all of our heart, all of our soul, all of our mind, all of our strength, and loving our neighbor as we love ourselves. It is about investment, spiritual investment, physical investment, relational investment, and today, intellectual investment. When we look at it from purely a financial stance, we cheapen the power of this amazing passage. Heart, soul, mind, and strength. The ability to use the mind that God has given to each of us, being able to engage in curiosity and wonder. When we do not invest that, like the milk I talked about earlier with the children, it can start to go bad. And it is important, as always, to take a passage like this and have it in its correct context. And in this particular case, the context is fascinating. This story of a servant that hoards what is given to him, it's the second of three stories that we find in the 25th chapter of the Gospel of Matthew. The first story that we read is about 10 bridesmaids. We're told that five are wise and five are foolish. And the five wise bridesmaids come to a wedding prepared. They have plenty of oil from their lamps just in case there is a delay in the arrival of the wedding party. But the five foolish bridesmaids, they're not prepared. And when the groom doesn't arrive on time, their lamps go out. Verses 10 through 13 say this. But while they were gone to buy oil, the bridegroom came. Then those who were ready went in with him to the marriage feast, and the door was locked. Later, when the other five bridesmaids returned, they stood outside calling, Lord, Lord, open the door for us. But he called back, Believe me, I don't know you. So you too must keep watch, for you do not know the day or hour of my return. And then the third story in chapter 25 is about the king sitting on the throne at the end of time, separating out those who were faithful and those who were not. And the criteria for selection we find in verses 34 through 40. The king will say to those on his right, come you who are blessed by my father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the creation of the world. For I was hungry and you fed me. I was thirsty and you gave me a drink. I was a stranger and you invited me into your home. I was naked and you gave me clothing. I was sick and you cared for me. I was in prison and you visited me. Then the righteous ones will reply, Lord, when did we ever see you hungry and feed you? Or thirsty and give you something to drink? Or a stranger and show you hospitality? Or naked and give you clothing? When did we ever see you sick or in prison and visit you? And the king will say, I tell you the truth, when you did it to one of the least of these, my brothers and sisters, you were doing it to me. These seemingly three unrelated stories stuck together in a chapter, a wedding, an absent landlord, a king, and his servants. But when you look closely, there is a powerful trajectory to these combined storylines. 
the first story of the bridesmaids is simply about being aware and prepared. It is paying attention to what is happening around us, recognizing the need and doing the work of getting ready to meet that need. The second is a story of a servant that hoards what is entrusted to him. It is a cautionary tale about the importance of actively choosing to use what God has entrusted to each of us. And then the third story, it's about investing in real, practical ways in the people and the community around us, people in need, people God loves. These three stories held together are about preparation, willingness, and then a choosing to act. In this beautiful chapter, we are called to be aware of the opportunities in the world around us, to be willing to engage, and then to move beyond simple willingness to act. Many years ago now, a friend of mine who had recently graduated from seminary was faced with finding new missions for her church. And she was very new and very, very worried about failure. And so she called me and she asked, how do you begin to find ways to reach out to the community around you? There is so much need. There is so much difficulty, so much division. Where do you even start? And she was so terrified to even begin working with her people to do this that she had not done anything at all. And so I was trying to help her to be able to release some of that fear, and I was writing down on a little piece of paper something that I eventually put on coffee cups. And the top says, experiment. You have to be willing to use the mind that God gave you to creatively think of new ways that you can reach out. Be willing to experiment. But then she says, what if I experiment and I fail? I drew a little arrow down to fail. If you fail, you learn, and you're going to fail. You will have things that God will place on your heart, and you will make a decision to act on them, and they will not work. But instead of despairing, instead of giving up, instead you learn from what you've experienced. You learn about what happened. But the same thing happens if you succeed as well. If you succeed and you are able to see that this mission that God has given you is incredibly fruitful, still there, just like when you fail, you learn. You see what has worked, you understand it more deeply, and you learn. And then the next step is you go right back up to the top again, and you experiment. God is never done using us. God is never done giving us ideas and creativity to be able to meet the needs of the people around us. And I have no doubt that you know just as well as I do that we live in a world that is desperately in need of God's love, desperately in need of a word of hope in the midst of difficult times. And we have the opportunity to experiment to find new ways, to step outside of the boxes in which we have put ourselves and our faith and our church and our understanding of who we are to reach beyond those barriers and to try. This morning, in your bulletins, 10 of you on the very back, the middle panel, have a little purple heart. If you have a little purple heart written down at the bottom on that middle panel on the back, 
you have a little takeaway today. You get one of these cups. And so it is available if you have the Purple Heart. You get to pick one up on your way out today where you picked up your bulletins on the way in. And I do this, one, because I like giving gifts, and that's a fun thing to be able to do. But I also want you to be able to remember that God gave you this amazing gift of your mind to be able to use, to be able to experiment, to be able to think creatively about the world around us and how it is that we can help because we need it. In the 1995 movie, The American President, Michael Douglas is playing the president, and at the end of it, he says this, we have serious problems to solve, and we need serious people to solve them. I think you will all agree with me that we are in a world that is deeply divided. We've seen that in the election this week. If you ever were wondering about whether or not we are divided, it absolutely showed it so clearly. And yet we as the church have the possibility of being a witness of healing and reconciliation, speaking the truth to power, being bold in sharing God's love in real practical ways. We have plenty of people in our world who are being very, very serious about the problems that we solve. You can see it in their faces, the growling look. You can see it in the anger that they express as they're showing their understanding of the way the world should be. The problem is actually not that we are not taking our problems seriously enough. The problem is that we are not using the mind that God gave to each of us to seek ways forward, to seek to be able to be together, to be able to go into the future that God has created for us and desires for us. But that is not an easy path. It takes a choice. It takes being aware and prepared. It takes being willing. And it takes being able to step out boldly to act. When we are willing to experiment, when we're willing to step out in faith, to try and succeed, to try and to fail, to learn, to grow, and to try again, we are using the mind, the intellect that God gave us to see the positive possibilities in our world. When we can step out of the shadow of the boxes that we've allowed to hem us in, and to focus on what is good and powerful and spirit-filled, that gives us the strength to face our lives and our world with new, revived courage, acknowledging our frustration and anger, but then using the energy to be able to make active, constructive change in the world around us, making the conscious choice each and every day to look at the people, all of the people around us, with love, asking God to show us the image of God in each person, and being progressively more aware of the majesty and beauty and miracles all around us each day, and to invest the miracle of our minds to experiment with a playful spirit, with joy and creativity. And we do this because Jesus did this stepping beyond the boxes created by this world, moving out into the lives of people in need, speaking loving truth boldly, refusing to acknowledge the barriers between people. He did it with every breath. And because he did all of that, 
because he disrupted the carefully constructed order of his world, because he pushed beyond the edges, because he reached out into the world, Jesus' opposition put him in the ultimate final box, a grave. They rolled the stone in front, closing his body in the darkness, and that, in their experience, was the end of the story because no one, no one comes back from inside that box. But Jesus, they did not understand. Jesus spent his whole life breaking down barriers, tearing through those human constructed boxes. He was so far outside the box that even the grave could not hold him inside. And because that same power is available to you and to me, there is no human constructed box that can hold us back. Because what we are called to do is actually very simple. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and with all your strength, and love your neighbor as you love yourself. Fabulously straightforward and deeply challenging. Loving God with everything in you, emotion, spirit, body, intellect, and loving the people around you just like Jesus did. We have serious problems to solve, and we need serious people to solve them. There is no doubt about it. Our world is in dire need of people willing to take our problems seriously. But part of taking our problems seriously, about being serious about solving them, is being bold enough to look with curiosity and imagination at the world around us, to be strong enough to experiment and try new things, unafraid of failure and ready to keep learning, to be brave enough to deeply invest each of our intellect, to move with wonder and joy and hope, in order to bless our world. Invest deeply, and it can change everything. <laughs>